Max Verstappen got a helping hand from Yuki Tsunoda as he won the Dutch Grand Prix for the second season in a row. Lewis Hamilton was left frustrated with his team in Zandvoort. Could Daniel Ricciardo take a year off? And will we see American IndyCar driver Colton Herta join the 2023 grid? All this and more on this episode of Unlapped. Will he be, you know, this great American driver that the U.S. is really wanting to see in Formula One? Possibly not. That evening, Toto Wolff said about being shouted out on the radio, he said, we're basically like vomit bags for these drivers. I do think it begs the question, are we letting Mercedes off? It does feel like he just needed a few more weeks of the summer break because I think getting back to racing was probably the worst thing for him. Welcome to Unlapped, an ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George. He's Nate Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson joining us. Have you guys recovered from the drama and the party that was at the Dutch Grand Prix? It's just about, I think the the techno beat has just stopped in my head (laughs) from all weekend, just hearing that outside. But yeah, a a mega weekend in Zandvoort. We mentioned already from one, one race, it was kind of up there for favorite races, but quickly becoming one of my top three it's just a fantastic event all around really really cool did you sing yes or no i was trying to sing but that song did not turn up i'd never heard it so i don't know whether it was a one a one-off wonder it? i don't know whether people listened to the pod and said okay we're gonna have to make a change to that song because it's been butchered by this guy on unlapped i don't know but i was i was trying to get it going in the media center but yeah um maybe for year three i'll bring it yeah. back again but yeah it was uh it wasn't met with the same enthusiasm as you'll have one. to have uh, your sidekick Lawrence help out next year. How about that? Yeah, I think there. that's what it was. That's what it was lacking was Lawrence on kind of the support vocals. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Plenty of time to just forget about that statement and uh, and move <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> Fair enough. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment or a question, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five star review wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's hit uh, some quick news before we dive into the Dutch Grand Prix. Colton Herta is or isn't set to join F1 as an Alvatari driver. I know there's some minutia here that we need to get into about how this actually comes to be. We know that teams do want to see an American driver on the grid. Lawrence, where do we stand with Colton Herta actually having this come to fruition in 2023? Let's start with the good news for Colson Herter and having a US driver on the grid. And that's that the teams want it to happen. So Alpha Tauri would be his landing point. Uh, most fans will know that that's the junior team of Red Bull. So quite a big deal. Good place to go in. Lots of drivers, including Max Verstappen, started their careers at that small team and progressed. Colson Herter is quite young. He's got a lot of uh, potential. Uh, he's shown that at times in IndyCar. But the one thing he doesn't have is enough points to get a super license. Now, Believe it or not, these racing drivers, they do need a super license to compete in F1. And the way that it's set out is that you get points for finishing uh, in positions in other championships and you accumulate those points over time. And what you need is 40 points in total over a three-year period to be able to qualify for a super license. Colson Herter doesn't have that. He has 32. And that's a problem because there's not enough time left in the IndyCar season for him to move up the standings and get more points. So the question is, is will the FIA their own rules around super licenses to allow him in 
and it's it's a really interesting one. Most of the noises, both from the FIA and F1 and some rival teams, the likes of Mercedes and Haas, has been, look, you can't do it. It's not fair. There's lots of drivers who would love to get a chance in F1, but th- this super license system is there for a reason. It's there to make sure only the very best drivers end up in F1. So it's an interesting one, but there are some potential workarounds. There's a clause in there about COVID. So because we've had COVID over the last three years, if you can prove that the impact of the pandemic meant that you didn't get as many points as you potentially could have or should have, then potentially uh, you're allowed in. So there'll be a lot of uh, talking behind the scenes. But if that happens, we're pretty much ready to go. Hertel would go into Alpha Tauri. Of course, Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda are there at the moment. Gasly would go over to Alpine to replace Fernando Alonso, who we already know is going to Aston Martin. And then we'll have to talk about Daniel Ricciardo later and what happens to him. But that's where it stands. Uh, but it's it's really on a knife edge. And I honestly don't know which way it's going to go just because it's with the FIA and they said they don't really want to bend the rules. Nate, do you view this as a, well, it's just worth a shot. Let's see if we can kind of push it through and force Colton in here. Or should you wait and actually allow him to get to the 40 points and then try to get him on the grid? Yeah, I think it, I, I'd love to see Colton Hurt race in Formula One. I think a lot of people would, but I I think it's a really bad precedent to set by by forcing this in. And I think that I mean Gunther Steiner said that you know uh, as much on Thursday before Zandvoort. You know he was like, you can't the rules ex- the rules exist for a reason. We all agree to them. We abide by them. You know we don't bring we don't force to we, you know, we don't try and bring drivers in that don't have a super license. So I think it would open really shaky ground for them up. I mean, I think that at the root of all of this, really, even if you ignore all the super license stuff, is that IndyCar definitely deserves to have a better weighting than what it has now. So it's not actually rated that well in the FIA super license points. And I think that you can kind of understand why from an FIA point of view, if you put your FIA hat on, they want to safeguard their pyramid into Formula One. You know, they've put a lot of money into that. You know, they're sure. making the cars similar and trying to trying to prepare drivers as best they can for that for that system. But I think a lot of people in IndyCar feel very slighted by that. And I think at the moment, there's only three drivers who under the current system actually have super license points, which is kind of crazy because I think a lot of people think there's more, definitely more than three drivers in IndyCar who would be worthy of a shot of Formula One. There is a few stats going around. If IndyCar was even weighted the same as Formula Three or Formula Two, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Colton Herter would easily have enough points to be racing in F1. So while I don't agree that the, the FIA should bend their own rules for this. I definitely think that the the, the points available for IndyCar should be much bigger because I think that we're going to get a lot of occasions like this going forward. And it's not just because of the American driver aspect to it. I think that is a big thing. I don't think mm-hmm. necessarily Red Bull and Alpha Tauri would be would be this interested in Colton Herter if he was if he was Belgian or if he was someone else because they've got they've got drivers in their youth academy. So I think it is it is the American thing as part of the equation. Um, but it's just so complicated and it's a real shame because I think ultimately that's what's going to stop it. And then people will see it as another slight to IndyCar and stuff like that. Um, so hopefully what they do from this is they look at it, they assess where they're at with those points, kind of change things up. Um, and I think Herter, I mean, I, I don't know a huge amount about Herter. I know what people have said and he's won seven races in IndyCar, you know, and if you think about, I know it's a very different series, but Charlotte Clerk's got five victories to his name. You know, you think about the way we look at him. IndyCar is obviously a lot different, but it's a it's a series that has a much bigger depth of winners. You know, people are it's a much more competitive field. Drivers can win a lot more. A lot more drivers can win races. So, I think if Herta was in a series like that and he'd won zero races or one race, I'd think, well, maybe this guy's not that good. But the fact that he's got quite a handful of victories in a competitive series like that, I think it shows he's he's worthy of a shot. Um, and the problem with this is it 
potentially detracts or, or sorry dissuades IndyCar drivers from wanting to go to Formula One because again another aspect of this is that at a very young age at the moment American drivers are having to make the call do I stay in America in North American racing which and and then the end goal there is is Formula One or do I move over to Europe and try and go through the the, the pyramid and the issue there is it's it's very difficult for a lot of those guys to adapt you know you're literally you know you imagine when you're a teenager moving you know, across to a different continent to race. Alex Rossi tried it. I mean, Colton Herter did briefly go over to to Europe. Um, so it's 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 tricky. And I think that hopefully, whatever the outcome from this is, and I, I'm the same as Lawrence. I think that we'll probably end up with Herter having that you know having that blocked. Um, but hopefully, what we get out of this is that um, the system has changed around. Improve. Yeah, and that in future this doesn't happen again because I think Herter at least deserves a shot. I'd love to see him you know, how he could do. And it'd be great for the Red Bull Academy. I think it'd be great for Formula One because we get to see Gasly move to Alpine as well. So there's a lot of things that are great about this and it would be a shame if we thought about them all and then none of them happened. So let's see what happens. You know, maybe things will change, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a real tricky one. What's our timeline here in, in terms of when we would possibly find out if it's going to be blocked or not? Well, Helmut Marco was saying just last weekend that if there's going to be an announcement, it's going to be by Monza. So it could be very quick. Okay. And in theory, I don't know. It, I guess it depends how much politicking goes on behind the scenes to, to, to try and prove that he deserves this super license or not. Or there's a way, you know, that you can argue that he should have it because he should have that amount of points by now. But um, I think from a fan perspective as well, you really want to see it. You really want to see it happen because Nate and I have had this conversation a number of times. Like, are the IndyCar drivers on a level with the F1 mm. drivers? And we've recently seen a couple of, F1 drivers go over to IndyCar, Roman Grosjean, Marcus Ericsson, obviously Alexander Rossi was in F1 for a bit. And, you know, they've all done pretty well in IndyCar. And it's been really fascinating to see if a driver can go the other way. The last time we saw it was Sebastian Bourdais, I think, if my memory serves. And that was uh, coming from, you know, a very good position uh, in in the US and then going into, you know, what Toro Rosso, which was what the junior Red Bull team was called back then. Uh, he didn't do so well, but um, he was at a much later stage in his career. And I think that's crucial. And I think that's why it'd be so good to get Herter in at, at this age. Um, you know, early 20s, got a huge amount of potential, we think. Um, would he be, you know, this great American driver that the US is really wanting to see in Formula One? Possibly not. You know, I don't know if he's quite on that level, but the only way we'll ever find out is if he gets put in there. So that's what we're hoping for, whether it happens or not. Yeah, I think we'll just have to wait and see. But to that point, even if he has some success or just a little bit of success, it at least opens a pathway for younger drivers to say, okay, here's a blueprint. I can remain in America. I can go the IndyCar route and I can still make the jump over to F1 and possibly have an incredible career. So to your all's point, I think as an American who obviously this sport has taken over the entire country, you guys have seen that over the last few years, it would be incredible to see an American driver on the grid, but just for the future of the sport, to show that kind of pathway and blueprint of this is how you can get it done. Cause if it doesn't come to fruition, then to your point, Nate, people are going to have to make the sacrifice if they really want to be ultimately an F1, they're going to have to make that move and try to go up the system. So we'll obviously keep you updated as we find out more. Let's pivot to the weekend. That was, it was, uh, I don't know how we would quantify the Dutch grand prix. Let's just say that there was a lot of drama and a lot to unpack. All right, I'm going to leave it up to you two. Where do you want to begin the conversation about the Dutch Grand Prix? Oh, well, well I, was I, mean, hoping, I was hoping you'd lead us into something controversial, but um, 
I mean, I guess we might as well start with the thing everyone's been talking about all weekend, right? Because it kind of shaped the race. Yuki Sonoda and then the second, the virtual safety car, then the safety car. We can jump in head first. Why not? All right. So we saw Yuki Sonoda. There's some conspiracy believe um, by some that what happened with Yuki may or may not have been fair or it could have been foul play. What say the two of you as you watched it unfold? As I watched it unfold, uh, it did cross my mind, I'm not going to lie, because uh, <laughs> Yuki stopped on the side of the track, then continued going after being told by his team to continue going. So first you thought, ah, here's the virtual safety car when he stops on track the first time. That's going to give Max a victory. And really it was just a sense of frustration because we were looking to have a really good battle mm. between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen for the first time since 2021. So we were so excited about that because the way the strategies were unfolding, uh, Max was going to pit again, fall behind Lewis, but be on fresher tyres and need to attack him. And there was no real knowing which way that would go. It could have gone either way. Um, it certainly would have been brilliant to watch. I mean, the amount of times we saw them go wheel to wheel last year and it was just gold. So that's what we we're hoping for. And that's what all of a sudden we thought, ah, oh, we've been deprived of that. But then Yuki started going again. So you thought, ah, oh, okay, well, no virtual safety okay. car right now. He came back to the pits. Now, usually when you come back to the pits and you've got a problem, yeah, you think, well, retire the car there and then. But Alpha Tauri were believed, I think, you know, let's try and put some uh, new tyres on it, get it back out, see if it works. And basically, as he was leaving the pits, he realised he had uh, the similar feeling from the car, and it was to do with the differential, which is broken at the back. The FIA have confirmed that, so as long as you believe the FIA, I do on that, uh, then um, he had to retire the car from that point, and he had to park it somewhere. And at Zamfort, there aren't many places to park it. Uh, there was the thing with the seatbelts, because when he first parked it the first time around, he started to loosen his seatbelts because he thought he was going to get out of the car then. The team then told him to drive around and they redid his seatbelts. I don't think there's anything suspicious about that. Yeah. Uh, and so once we had this full explanation, and really the, the reason the FIA investigated it was not because they thought there was some kind of foul play, but they did investigate it because of the seatbelt issue, because, of course, driving around a racetrack with your seatbelts loose in a Formula 1 car is not a very good idea, and he was reprimanded for that. Um, but when they looked into it, they found out all the other details around it. So we actually have an FIA document explaining what happened. It all makes sense. It's all believable. And really, why would Red Bull risk all of that reputational damage, potentially being thrown out of the championship if they get found to have caused a virtual safety car through, you know, design rather than through reliability issues. And, uh, you know, of course, everyone thinks back to 2008 Singapore Grand Prix when Renault ordered Nelson Piquet Jr. to crash so that Fernando Alonso could win. And of course, that stuff goes through your head because Formula One is immensely competitive and there, mm -hmm. there is precedent of it happening in the past. But in this instance, no, there was, you know, a very good, very reasonable explanation and it came out pretty soon after. So, um, yeah, I had a slight down my mind initially. Oh, that's strange and shame it's kind of ruined our race for us, but it was quickly uh, put to bed, I think. Okay, so all that goes down, lap 49. Then fast forward six laps later and Valtteri Bottas has an issue and he has to stop right on the grid, right on the track. And so then you see everybody else come back into the pits, except for one human being, which was Lewis <laughs> Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton has a lead at this point. He stays out. He's on medium tires at that point. Max Verstappen comes in for softs, as does George Russell, who over the radio comms, you could hear lobbying. I want to come in for softs. I'm having problems with his mediums. Let's come in for softs. So he does that. Nate, then what happens? Yeah, well, Lewis let Mercedes know later how he felt about 
being left on the medium tire. And what was fascinating, I was in the mix zone on Sunday. So once the drivers are done with the TV pen, they come and talk to us in the written media. Usually, and usually we're next to the TV pen. We're actually kind of tucked away, like in the middle of nowhere for this. But um, uh, Lewis came to us and he'd calmed down a lot since, you know, but what he said at the time was the reason that he didn't make the same call as George was it was fascinating. George was saying, I don't feel great on this tire. I really don't like it put me on the softs lewis wasn't feeling that lewis had been really quick on that in, in that little spell when that tire had gone on and he felt great and he did not realize that switching onto the softs was going to be something he did or that he had the option to do really until he drove past the mercedes pit box and obviously all the mechanics have stood there with those red tires and lewis thinks oh well clearly they're for george and he knows that max has stopped as well so i think that lewis suddenly realized that this great opportunity to at least fight max properly had gone um you know he he swore at Mercedes a few times on the radio, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I mean, just as a side note, my favorite one liner of the season came out from that when the, that evening Toto Wolf said about being shouted out on the radio, he said, we were basically like vomit bags for these drivers or trash. I think he said trash bins as well. He's like, we just have to take it. And I thought it's such a good way of describing radio messages because I often have to tell people like you know yeah they do sound whiny on the radio but they're doing quite a lot you know they're driving these big <laughs> speeds <laughs> they're driving uh you know very dangerous cars they're they're losing all this weight they're kind of dehydrated sometimes and they don't know the bigger picture that we can see on tv and that was definitely the case with lewis you know and i think one of the great things about lewis that is compelling and it's the same with max as well is you know so passionate about winning just so driven to win so i think when he was doing that that's what that came from um but yeah obviously the, the the restart, we were super excited about the restart uh, when the safety car came out. I, I will admit, people in the media center were kind of kind of G'd up by that because it had been so deflating with the virtual safety car. The second safety car, you thought, oh, well, this may be, maybe this resets things and maybe this gives us some kind of, kind of race. But obviously, Max just kind of flew past Lewis. An interesting side note from that, which Lewis admitted, was as he came around the final corner, he was briefly in the wrong mode. They have obviously different mm-hmm. engine modes. And he pushed the wrong one. He said it didn't have a huge impact on the restart, but I think at that point you can see how it would have changed his trajectory out of that corner. Max flies past him and he's never seen again. And Lewis kind of slips down to fourth. And um, clearly if had the decision been different for Mercedes, I think they could have had both cars on the podium. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know. It, it It is interesting that they, that, George made that call and Lewis didn't. And also mm-hmm. that Mercedes hadn't thought about it. But, you know, I think Wolf's, Toto Wolf's rash, rationale later for that was they chose the the call that went for the win rather than settling for the podium. And I think that's quite a good mindset to have. It shows they're still in that championship mindset. They were like, well, let's go for it. You know, we've got nothing to lose here. Maybe it was the wrong call in hindsight. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, it definitely felt like we were robbed of a really great finish a couple of times yeah. during the finish, like with the virtual safety car, then with the pit call mistake. Um, and yeah, I think all of us are just, we we remember last year so fondly um, that Max and Lewis, I mean, I was there like this, yeah, we're going to get Max v. Lewis in Zandvoort. I was convinced that Lewis was going to be like, if he had the lead into turn one and Max was coming around the outside, he's going to be like, look, I'm not letting you pass me here. You know, I remember what you did last, you know, I remember how we fought last year. So, yeah, it could have been so great and we didn't get to see it. But um, pretty dramatic stuff still. And um, just, yeah, a, a great case of what might have been. I understand, obviously, the mindset wanting to go for the win, and that's fine and good. But I think from Lewis's standpoint, Lawrence's, he would have liked George to have stayed out with him because, yes, Max Verstappen might have probably won that race regardless and passed both of them. But at the restart, Max Verstappen would have had to overtake George Russell 
before getting to Lewis Hamilton. And there we could have seen that battle. And instead there was no buffer between Lewis and Max because George had pitted at that point to go for the soft. So do you feel like Lewis's frustrations are warranted or in that moment, you know, that's just going to be a, a dramatic debrief in the Mercedes garage after. There's a few things going on there and Mercedes had their reasons for pitting George and actually, oh no, it sounded like George made the call and all that kind of stuff. But Mercedes were actually thinking about that with both cars as they were coming in and then they decided to go with George. Now, the reason they said they did that, because you're right, having a buffer there presumably would have at least protected him for one lap. It may have done more. But uh, one was the split strategy. So you have best of both. Hopefully one of them's going to work out. Uh, the other one is that they were hopeful that Lewis would be able to hold off Max in the first lap. Um, again, I think that engine mode uh, setting that Nate talked about was significant. That was one of the reasons why Max was so far past mm -hmm. Lewis so early in the straight. Uh, so had Lewis been able to hold him off into turn one, you then would have had George behind Max on soft tyres. And we saw through the race that the Mercedes was pretty good on, you know, in certain parts of the race, it was pretty good. It was up there on the pace of the Red Bull. So they were hopeful that by having George on soft tyres behind, he could make Max's life difficult and give Lewis more of a chance to get away. Um, I think the reality was that on those softer tyres and, you know, I think they kind of slightly misjudged how good the medium tyres that Lewis only had five racing laps on. So that was part of their thought process, but they misjudged how good they would be. And I think Lewis would have dropped back anyway. But there were reasons behind it. But they said, you know, another reason for this was that they sat down in the pre-race uh, briefing on what they're going to do with strategy. All the teams do it on a Sunday morning. And they said, look, if we end up in a situation late in the race, we know we've got good race pace. Do we take gambles on track position? Do we take it on tyres? What do we do? And, you know, they felt at a track like Zandvoort where it's quite difficult to overtake. Uh, certainly last year's race told us that it was very difficult to overtake last year. Then, you know, let's try and prioritise track position, even if it's a big risk. And so that's what, you know, they went for. And Lewis was on board with that in the morning. I think when he then dropped <laughs> three places in, you know, in the space of a few laps, he wasn't quite so on board with it, understandably. But um, but that's why it kind of came about. So, you know, we, we've hit Ferrari pretty hard when they've made mistakes like this, but it's also yeah. a com completely different mindset because Mercedes aren't fighting for this championship. Sure, they could potentially get second place, but at one stage, Ferrari were really fighting for the championship. And in those situations, you go conservative and you bank your points and you take your second and third, which would have been pretty much nailed on if they pitted both Lewis and George for softs. Um, and they might have even got first by, you know, being able to attack Max at the end. But in that situation, they gambled everything on a race win. And look, if they got it, they would look like absolute heroes. But like we've seen other teams do this year, especially Ferrari from time to time, they just misjudge how good the tyres they had on the car were. And, you know, the uh, the opportunity slipped away. But I can see why they did it. And I don't really, uh, I'm not really surprised they did it. And also I don't really hold it against them. I don't think it was a huge error. I think it was just trying everything to get that win on the board that they haven't got yet this season. And also on on the Mercedes Ferrari comparison, I actually tweeted shortly before all, all hell broke loose at Zandvoort. I said that the um, that race was quite a good example of why last year was such a good and tight fight, and this year hasn't been. I think operationally, mm. if you look at what Mercedes do, if you you know ignore the ignore the call that we're talking about, but to put themselves in that position, Mercedes have been fantastic all weekend. You know, if you look across the board, drivers, strategy, pit stops, they they're, they're so good this year, and obviously the car isn't quite there. When you look at Ferrari. They're just lacking in every area. You know, the, the drivers are making small errors. The team's making small errors. As we'll get onto, the pit crew are making errors. Like everyone's just kind of, you know, the errors are kind of recycling. So I think 
Mercedes more more often than not this year have got it right. Whereas with Ferrari, I think we give them a hard time because it started off as one or two mistakes and then it just became what well, every race Ferrari is doing something. So um, I think that's probably why. But I did I did think that I did wonder what would have happened collectively to all of our brains if Ferrari had done that. And I don't think we'd all have survived long enough to have done this podcast. So um, <laughs> so I'm glad it wasn't them. We at least well, had some sanity to bring into the week. I'm glad the two of you made the comparison because I, I do think it begs the question, are we letting Mercedes off easily as compared to how we have discussed Ferrari's decisions and strategy or lack thereof in the past? But to your point, Lawrence, completely different mindset. Speaking of Ferrari, Charles Leclerc finishes on the podium. Carlos Sainz on the track finished fifth, but the five-second penalty actually dropped him down to eighth after a um, unsafe release from the pit lane. So how would you describe the weekend that we saw from Ferrari? I think it was another example of uh, those problems spiraling, but really what it came down to more than anything else is that they had a lot of tire degradation when we talk about tire degradation it's basically the tire is losing performance at a quicker rate than, than some of its rivals and that was the issue they had against mercedes that's why they weren't quick as mercedes and then they just didn't have the pace of red bull as well so in reality third place uh that charles leclerc got wasn't a terrible result mm-hmm. but then we look at that carlos Sainz pit stop and it's all the ferrari memes come out again you know and all of that kind of stuff and i feel sorry because the guy um, if you look at the pit stop carefully, you see the guy who was on the left rear tyre, which was the one that was missing because they only got three tyres out for the pit stop. He's there, but he gets kind of trapped and it's very tight in the Zambor pit lane for one. And then they were coming from uh, basically the front of the car cross and they made such a late call on that pit stop. that The guy, by the time he was running out with his tyre and for some reason he was kind of at the back of the queue of the guys running out, uh, the car was already there and he was blocked off from getting to where he needed to be, which was the exact opposite corner of the car. And you just look at it and you think, uh, you know, that's um, that looks like such a silly mistake, but you can also see how it happens. Late mm-hmm. ball on the pit stop. And really, I think, you know, they just had an other tracks. It would probably be easier to come out the garage with the tyres and get into position. But Zanvoort's very tight. It's very old school. And I think the poor guy just got trapped on the wrong side of the car. He eventually got around they put it on. But that was science's race gone from that point. Um, but I don't know. We see it again and again and again that we're not surprised anymore. It was a funny weekend for Sainz, wasn't it? Because I felt like that obviously was the start of what seemed to be him trying to tick off basically every penalty and time loss that he could kind of <laughs> accumulate through the week. You know, he had, like you said, he had the the, the uh, unsafe release. There was, yeah, there was the incident with Perez later on where it was like, are you trying to get more penalties for yourself, pushing pushing people wide here? Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty much, you know, absolutely no luck across the board for him after that. Um, and kind of, if you were to put Ferrari's season into a race or a nutshell, I think you could look at Sainz's race there because um, it just, nothing went right. But at least uh, I think it felt less bad because we were we were seeing Mercedes take the fight to Red Bull and I don't think Ferrari squandered a win by doing it. They squandered good points, but I think we're kind of at the point now where it doesn't matter hugely in the grand scheme of the season. No, definitely not. So this is how the top 10 shaped out. Of course, you had Max Verstappen taking the checkered flag. George Russell finished second, Charlotte Claire third, Lewis Hamilton in fourth, Carlos Sainz in fifth, asterisk, drop him down to eighth. Sergio Perez ended up in fifth, Fernando Alonso sixth, Lando Norris seventh, Carlos Sainz eighth, Esteban Ocon nine, and Lance Stroll ten. Any other noteworthy items you want to hit from the race weekend? Yeah, uh, Mick Schumacher felt had a really good chance to do something pretty big. Um, he qualified in the top ten. I think Haas had two slow pit stops. 
but you feel like Mick's running out to kind of, you know, really kind of grab that seat because I think he is still in contention. I think it's very unlikely he'll he'll get it, but House haven't turned around to us and said he's definitely not going to get it. So running out of time to get it, but little performances like that, they do, they kind of add credit in the bank for you. So hopefully we see a bit more of him, you know, at, at, uh, at Monza and that would be a great place for him to to do something special because, you know, Monza is so synonymous with his dad as well. So um, we'll see what happens there. Um, just one quick one. I'm sure Lawrence has got some as well. There was a great clip after the race. Fernando Alonso, who's kind of in, not the form of his life because he's won two championships, but the form mm-hmm. of this part of his life, you know, whatever part stage we call this now when the driver's in his 40s, um, he got out of his, his, his Alpine and just started walking around the Aston Martin that was parked in front of him and he was kind of checking it out. And he was, I think he was quite theatrically looking at bits of it and, Stuff like that, but I just thought it was quite funny. You know, he's 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 finished a race and then he's going to go and you know he's spying on the car that he's going to drive next year. Comes Checking out his that. new digs. Yeah, and it comes back to that that funny quirk we were talking about on previous episodes where he's looking at a car he's signed to drive next year, but he's currently driving a different car, and he's the only way he can look at that car is by looking at it after a race when it's parked in front of him. It's just a funny, just a very funny and bizarre circumstance, but you got to love it. Yeah, I think Fernando was impressive all weekend. Actually, he was. Um... He, he was he was really uh, on it. The qualifying wasn't great, but that track was never going to suit the Alpine. But then from that point onwards, he just pushed through the field and uh, finished where he did. He got a bit lucky with the safety car at the end, but it was another really strong Fernando performance. And then also uh, one of the guys he was battling was Lando Norris. I feel like, you know, again, compared to teammates, uh, Lando was pretty special. So, um, yeah, th- those are probably the two I'd pick out as, uh, as doing a good job along with the guys at the top, obviously. Mentioning Lando Norris's teammate, I don't know if I want to pile on or not, but why don't we hit the doghouse? Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. The 
This is the segment where we put somebody in the doghouse for their performance or lack thereof. Who are you putting in the doghouse? Nate, we'll start with you and why. Yeah, regrettably, it's got to be Danny Rick if we're staying true to what this segment's about. And I feel really bad doing that because, you know, I just think he's spiraling. You know, his form's really, it's kind of tough to watch at the moment. Um, spoke to him on the Sunday evening and just kind of, I, I, you know, in the in that mix zone that I mentioned and, you know, asked him, has this triple header mentally been quite draining for him? He's put a really brave face on, I think. He's actually handled things pretty well, pretty admirably. But, you know, he said, I think to paraphrase what he said, it was, I'm not, you know, I'm not superhuman. I'd be naive to think that all of this hasn't had an impact on me. So you're talking about a guy that was already struggling for form and he's had this, you know, this massive kind of, you know, he's, 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 it's public that he's lost, you know, not driving at McLaren next year, all the questions with it, kind of, you know, all the pressure that, that, that comes with where's he going to be next year. So it's a really tough situation for him to be in. Um, and yeah, I just, um, I hope he can find some, something at Monza. Obviously he's coming back to a place where he won last year. I don't know whether it will, you know, trigger something in him and, you know, he might be able to find, you know, I, I don't know, a return to form, but it does feel like he just needed a few more weeks of the summer break because I think getting back to racing was probably the worst thing for him. Um, so yeah, as I said, regressively, it's got to be Danny Rick. Through that conversation, did you get a sense? Yeah, we could see this driver take a step away for a little bit and regather himself before coming back. It's really difficult to read him at the moment. Lawrence and I both went to his press session on Thursday at Zanvo, which is media day that follows that, that precedes the weekend. Um, Sunday night, he wasn't really talking about it, but he said that he kind of wants to get this triple header out of the way and then he'll make a decision. Um, but he's increasingly talking about taking next year off and 2024 being when he comes back. And I think that realistically that, you know, that's probably possibly the best option now. It depends how much you rate, you know, his chances. If he went to Haas, I love the idea of him at Haas, uh, you know, him and good Steiner together, him and Magnuson at the same team. But, you know, I can see why he'd be skeptical about that. You know, you're talking about the, the team that traditionally is seen as the smallest team on the grid. And does that help your career if you go there and you're finishing last every, every weekend? So I think he's really, I don't think he knows what he wants to do next year. And I think that's also adding to this situation that he's in. Um, but yeah, it's difficult to read. And I think he's very good at putting on a brave face. You know, he's good at you know making a joke of a, of a question or kind of, you know, having a laugh about something. And that can be quite an easy or quite a safe defense mechanism, um, you know, for when you're feeling pretty down. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we'll know until after Monza, but I think the sooner we do that, maybe it will give him some clarity, give him some closure and maybe he can kind of, just see this end of the season as right. This is kind of to rebuild the reputation and then go into whatever it is he choose, chooses to do next year. But hopefully whatever it is, it's not the end of Daniel Ricciardo's F1 career this year because I think that'd be a really sad way for it to end. I agree. Lawrence, who are you putting in the doghouse? Um, I think I could just copy and paste Nate's answer. The, the only thing I'd add is that um, if Don't you look put at him Daniel's... in there by himself. Give him somebody to hang out with. There's the well, Ferrari tire. Ferrari tire man can go in there. No, nah, again, I, I feel sorry for the Ferrari tire man. I don't. Ah, uh, but he's got a. He may no, but still, he, he he can go in. He's got a. Nah, well, but you can put him in as your secondary. I, I, I've got a few yeah. other potential candidates as well. Um, so Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, where, where went wrong the whole weekend? Because Friday didn't look too bad, and where went wrong was Saturday qualifying, and it was. Lance Stroll, who went off in ahead of him, brought some gravel onto the track and it ruined both Ricardo's lap and Vettel's lap and put them at the back of the grid. And then on a track like Zandvoort, you just can't go anywhere from the back of the grid. It's really hard to overtake. It's really hard to pass, especially in that McLaren, which isn't really the best with straight line speed. So I think he was finding it difficult to make any progress whatsoever. So that's my kind of like little kind of upsides of Daniel Ricardo's weekend is that it 
wasn't entirely his fault, you know, being on the track at that time when the gravel's on the last corner and otherwise the lap was looking good enough to make it through to Q2 is something. Um, so the other guy as well, I just mentioned there, Vettel uh, had a pretty poor weekend uh, mm-hmm. relative to Stroll. We talked about how good Stroll's was. Well, Vettel's wasn't great. And then also, if you remember in the race, he did that bit where he blocked Lewis, uh, came out of the pits and blocked Lewis mm-hmm. for a couple of laps as Lewis had just got past Perez and was penalised for that. And I think for a guy, you know, who consistently during his time at the front of the grid would moan about other drivers not having blue flags... It seemed a bit rich that he was then the guy who nearly kind of got in the way of Lewis's uh, race. And of course, again, I think there was a little bit of all of us that just wanted to see Lewis make the progress because we knew that if he got enough performance, enough pace uh, in that car, he could potentially challenge Max and would have this great battle for victory. So it was, you know, kind of selfish, just wanting Vettel to get out of the way. Um, so I'm going to stick Vettel, a <laughs> long answer, isn't it, for um, for, uh, for a way to Get there. But I'm going to stick Vettel in there with Danny Rick because, again, the performance wasn't where it should have been compared to the teammate. Not quite as bad as Daniel's. Uh, and then also that blue flag incident, uh, given everything he used to say about drivers not ignoring blue flags when he used to be at the front. And I will stick the Ferrari guy in there with them because they can all speak Italian. So, you know, they can yeah. they can chat together in there. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't, I, nice. I think yeah, nice. yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. There's three of them it's, in there chatting. It's progress because last week I think we needed three dog houses <laughs> combined with how many people you guys were throwing in there. You threw an entire team in and rightfully so. So this is yeah. progress. I think I think Max was the only person not in it by the end of our segment. So um <laughs> but that depends, Katie. Who who would you put in there? There's still space for maybe one or two more. No, no, no. I'm leaving it there. They're yeah. gonna have a lot of comfy room. I agree. I think Daniel Ricardo. He, you just hope and you hope and you hope that he's going to find some magic. And I just think that you're let down time and time again. It's funny. I was having a conversation. I was covering college football uh, this past weekend and I was talking to one of my crewmates and he's like, I absolutely love drive to survive. Daniel Ricardo is my guy. I wish I had been tapped into the sport a few years ago when he yeah. was in his prime. He was like, because I love everything about him. And then I watch him on Sundays and it's just painful because he seems like a drastically different driver than what he was, you know, four or five years ago. And I, I think that that's so fair, but something to keep in mind, we would like to see, I think as fans some kind of rise back, at least be competitive. Right. Yeah. There's and just that, so much going on. That is something I've said to people before as well as like p- friends of mine who I know, I'm like, I wish you'd seen, you know, 2017, 2018, Ricardo, some of the, I mean, China 2018 is when he said, lick the stamp and send it. But it's one of the best wins I've seen for a long time. I mean, Max has had some great ones. Lewis has, but you know, he kind of carved through the field. You know, fortunately, time set, uh, pit stop. But yeah, now when you when you kind of think recently, and it's so interesting. Formula One is so much about kind of flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're only really as good as your, your your most recent run of form. Doesn't matter how good you are. Vettel's a good example of that as well. You know, he's a four time world champion, but easier to remember some of the struggles he's had maybe later in his career. So you can spend years building up a reputation in Formula One, and you know, can fall apart so easily. So sadly, that's the case. But um, I'm backing him to to rebuild it somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think he can do it. You know, I think the McLaren car really clearly hasn't suited him and it clearly hasn't clicked. But then you look at everywhere else that he's raced and he's always been competitive. Toro Rosso, Red Bull, obviously. Renault, you know, it took a year, but he got there. He and so I do feel that given yeah. everything that's happened, if he gets a complete reset, it will be there. The question is, is there any route back to the front of the grid from where he is now? And I don't reckon there is. I mean, I, I almost feel like that you know, ship sailed a bit when he made the decision to go to Renault and it didn't work out. And then McLaren, it's you know, it's gone further down. And I just can't see a situation where Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, who let's be honest with ourselves, are the teams that are going to be at the front of the grid for the foreseeable future, 
think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make a space for Daniel. I just can't see that happening, but I would love to see him. And I, well, I'd hate to see him go now and not get an opportunity to prove himself. But I'd love to see him go into Haas, for example, and just, you know, punch above his weight and show us that he's still got it. One quick final point. Sorry, I know we keep going back and forth on Ricardo, but one thing he said as well on Thursday was he said one of the drivers who reached out to him when the news was announced was Sergio Perez. And he said he oh, takes wow. a bit of he said he takes a bit of inspiration from from Sergio. And what Sergio said to him was like, look, look, look at my career. Look what happened with me. 2020, end of that season. We all thought Sergio Perez was going to be done with Formula One. You know, he he looked like he was he was going to be replaced by Vettel and we really didn't know where he was going to be. Then suddenly out of nowhere he gets that win. And then a week later he's announced at Red Bull. And you suddenly think, how has this happened? For we were all delighted about it, but we thought, wow, like it literally in the space of a fortnight, the whole perception around his career had changed. So while that was a very unique set of circumstances, you know, we've seen what's happened this year with just Vettel deciding to retire, the impact that's had on the driver market. So I think that's why it's key Ricardo stays around because you just don't know what opportunities are going to open up. And I think stepping away, it might mean he closes the door and isn't able to open it again. So mm. hopefully something like that can open up for him in the future. But yeah, it was just interesting that that Sergio had called him and kind of just said, look, you know, don't give up completely because this this example from my career is one that maybe, you know, maybe might give you some hope that you can uh, you can get back to the front again. And I love that you share that because I think that says a lot about Sergio Perez as well, because he seems mm. like a pretty high character guy um, and somebody certainly uh, that seems like he knows it and he's a great friend. So I appreciate that story. Definitely. Uh, you mentioned it, though. This is a triple header. We've got Monza coming up this weekend. Let's take a look at the track and kind of break down who we think this is going to suit. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So as you see it, you mentioned Danny Rick having success over the years. This is Ferrari's home race. Where do we think uh, teams will have the edge on this track? And uh, what are we expecting from the atmosphere? Well, Monza's all about straight line speed in terms of what the drivers are looking to get. We see them turn up with specific aero packages with very skinny rear wings, uh, very little downforce on the car so they can maximize straight line speed. And it's fun to watch because it means the cars move around in the corner. They don't have much grip and they are very very fast um but what does that mean uh, in terms of this year's championship what we've seen so far well it probably means it's going to be another red bull track um we could probably <laughs> say that for the rest of the races but this one especially because red bull do have uh, very good straight line speed very efficient downforce so they can trim the wings but still keep uh, a decent amount of grip in the corners uh so i'd say that but then you know we look at some of the other races which are similar saudi arabia montreal okay they were much earlier in the year and you know we haven't had a 
a lot of updates since then, but Ferrari put up fights in those ones. So there's a little bit of optimism that Ferrari can do that. Uh, Mercedes, I'd say less so. They seem to be better when the wings are big, high downforce. You just pile uh, the grip onto the tyres, but here it's going to be different. Do we feel like there's pressure on Ferrari? Do they feel pressure? Do you think at this point they just want a clean race? Yeah, I think it's clean race territory. I don't I don't think we can go into the race thinking victory, but if we have a race where the whole story is what a shambles Ferrari is, you can't you can do I mean you shouldn't be doing that anyway if you're Ferrari, but you can't do that at your home race. You know, you just cannot be doing that at Monza. It's a place that is just synonymous with Ferrari. It's you know, there's so many fans there. I mean, it's 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 great that we're going from kind of two max strongholds to like a, a Ferrari, you know, home race. It's just a shame that at this point in the season. It would have been incredible if this was really close. Would have had those two max races and then straight into this Ferrari race, and it would have been. It would have felt really quite special. So I'm kind of gutted about that, and hopefully next year it's different if uh, if Ferrari can get their act together. But yeah, I think Katie, that pressure. It's an interesting word now, isn't it? Because at the start of the season, I'd have said pressure would have been well, Ferrari got a win at Monza. Now we're just saying just get to the finish with both cars and don't you know don't mess don't mess it up on the way there. Um, but Monza's a special place. You know the atmosphere is amazing. I went there twice with my dad when I was young and. Um, yeah, just awesome place. And when Ferrari win, uh, it's even it's even more special. I remember 2019 as a journalist there when Charles won. Um, it's pr- pretty special. So um, not sure the fans will be that happy this weekend, but who knows? I feel like you know Max is Max is due something at, at this point, right? Or am I, I? Is that just wishful thinking at this point? I think Max? that's just wishful but thinking on your part. It might be, but then look at the last two Monsters. We had Gasly win in 2020. We had um, we had Ricardo win last year, and at both of those occasions, the quickest car something happened to them. Literally last year, the two quickest cars ended up on top of each other in the gravel trap. So maybe maybe there's something about Monza. Maybe the third time, you know, it, it happens. So we'll see. But um, yeah, if all things go normally, I, I'm afraid I've got to be boring like Lawrence and and kind of her <laughs> on the side of Verstappen winning again. Outside of the top three, you know, McLaren. I think we can all agree, based on what we just said about Daniel Ricardo, needs to step up. Alpine obviously is right there with them on the outside looking in of the top three. Where do you see that playing out in that race between those two teams here? This definitely looks like an Alpine track on paper. Um, Again, if we look at the similar tracks, Saudi Arabia, Montreal, Austria, uh, Spa, all races where um, Alpine were the best of the rest in terms of the midfield. And they were actually in times, you know, making into the, into the top six. So I think, especially with the form that Fernando's on, you know, you could see Alpine uh, really, really pretty competitive around there. And I don't know, hopefully Mercedes have got a, a decent low drag set up on that car um, for this weekend. But if they don't, I think they could actually see themselves maybe fall back towards midfield a bit like we uh, we saw in Spa and also we saw earlier in the year. All right, let's take to uh, predictions. Okay. And I'm getting out my notebook from last week. Let's just hit what you guys predicted. Lawrence Edmondson said Max Verstappen was going to win. Correct. You thought Lewis Hamilton would finish P2 and said it was his teammate, George Russell. Then you believed Carlos Sainz would finish P3 and said it was his teammate, Charles Leclerc. So you actually predicted the teams in correct order, just not the drivers. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, that's not too bad. That's not too bad, is it? It's better than um, a few weeks ago. <laughs> it's only better than a few weeks ago. Is, I, yeah. Progress I, I make, is the key yeah. here on this podcast today. That's right. And I didn't make the mistake of uh, not backing Max. So, you know, there's that. Well, Nate on the other side, he had Max as well, uh, winning the Dutch Grand Prix. And then you selected Lewis and George finishing P2, P3. So, so 
if it hadn't, if that call had gone the way we said it should, that would have been the right, that would have been right, I think. So I kind of feel like not only did it cost us a great race, it cost me a correct prediction. So doubly gutting. Yeah, yeah you can add to conspiracy theories and uh, yeah. you could text you <laughs> Sonoda on that. Yeah. And, and that's what's important, right? Not the championship. It ruined yeah. my prediction. And yeah, that's what exactly. that's what people care about. <laughs> All right. As you see it from Monzo, who are you picking and why? I'm going to go. Outside, let's just do two and three. Is that fair? Unless you think there's going to be a DNF <laughs> or an engine issue. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where we're at with the season now. Um, yeah, I was going to go Max Victory. Okay. Uh, and then I was going to go, I want to mix up a bit, say Leclerc second. And to double down on what I just said about Alpine and Alonso, I'm going to put Alonso third. A bit of action further back. Love nice. That. I was wondering whether to put Alonso up there. That would be mega, wouldn't it? An old Ferrari driver back on the podium. Um, I'm going to put Leclerc and Science second, third. You know, I think I think Ferrari. I hope just being a Monza, I hope it just gets their act together. You know, operationally they're good. Um, so and yeah, they'd be happy know. with that, right? I mean, surely at I, that point they've got to be thrilled. I think that would be. I think that 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 would be a good result. You know, not not to sound condescending to Ferrari, but that genuinely would be would be a you know impressive impressive race. And I think a morale boost. I think that team needs something like that. Seeing both their drivers on the podium at Monza, I think that'll be big. Will you both be in Monza this weekend? I will be. Large I will not be. be. <laughs> I'll be at a wedding on Saturday. So. Ooh, good for um, you. Well, we hope mine. you have... Not yours. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Even better, less pressure. We hope you enjoy Absolutely. yourself, Lawrence. Okay, well, we'll be waiting for your reports then, Nate. Both, thank you to both of you. As always, we appreciate your time and your analysis. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, you can like this video, leave us a comment or question, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. If you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Unlapped. We'll be back next week for more reaction from Monza and I'm sure more breaking news. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers. Cheers.